This episode of the Searcy Institute Podcast Network is brought to you by our friends over at the Institute for Excellence in Writing. IEW provides teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become better listeners, speakers, readers, writers, and thinkers. To learn more about IEW and their 100% lifetime money-back guarantee, visit IEW.com start. That's IEW.com start. And welcome to the Mason Jar. We are here today in the beautiful month of June, and um, I'm pretty excited about today's podcast. I have a guest, um, Maria Bell, is going to be our guest, and I'll tell you a little bit about Maria in just a second. But um, one of the cool things about uh, life is that when it gets really, really difficult, and you have friends that that lift you up and help you keep going. And one of those friends for me is Dawn Duran. Now Dawn has, um, she, she started out as what could only be called a groupie, which made me very uncomfortable. And she uh, has now advanced to be my aide de camp. Uh, Dawn is the one who, um, found Maria for me and and the topic that she wanted to discuss uh, that Dawn thought we should discuss is recitation. Well, there are very few topics that I love more than the idea of recitation. When I originally read um, Charlotte Mason's writings and books, I was not reading them as a scholar. I was really just reading them as a mom trying to find answers for my family. And so it was, it, so so it, it's kind of fun after all these years when um, to see that some of the things that it instinctually just trying to get it right turned out to be the very things that um, Charlotte was was actually trying to say or saying that I I didn't quite understand but but um but as I was applying her principles uh, one of the things that we did in our family was that we did start meeting with other families and having what we called recitations. And those t- turned out to be the highlight, probably, of our family life in so many ways, and, and, and so many friendships were formed, and so even marriages have come out of some of our recitations. So moms, uh, back off. You can't make that happen, but sometimes it does happen anyway. But today I'm going to be talking to Maria Bell about this very subject, and I'm truly excited to talk about it. Now, I asked Dawn to tell me a little bit about Maria, and and I know, and according to Dawn, this, I'm going to probably embarrass Maria very much by this, but um, because we're not, because we're here as human beings and Christians, I thought Dawn's words were so beautiful that I'm just going to read what she said about Maria. She said, Maria is a prayer warrior committed to the truth of the scripture who desires to instill a love of the Lord in the hearts of her three precious children while embracing the role of helpmeet to her husband. She has a background in studying linguistics at the graduate level and is also an accomplished pianist who teaches piano to children. She discovered and committed to the Charlotte Mason philosophy when her oldest was a mere toddler, and she is committed to understanding the principles of Charlotte Mason in Mason's own words. Maria is a deep thinker and is one of the most deeply patriotic persons that I know. She has a heart for our nation and its direction that I rarely see in other people, which is a breath of fresh air in today's culture. 
And when I was talking with Dawn, one of the things that she said that most impressed me, and I'm sorry to embarrass Maria this way, is that Maria always puts her family first in her decision making. Uh, When they have to make a decision about are they going to do this and are they going to do that with the group, Maria is very, very good at, at putting her family first. And I really admire that. And I think that's something that all of us should emulate. So while we aren't going to be talking about Maria today, um, um, I did want to tell you what kind of person she was. And I'm just so thrilled that other young moms are coming along and looking at Charlotte Mason in a scholarly fashion so that we all can benefit from that. And so today we're going to talk to Maria about how Charlotte Mason viewed recitation and how that might be a little different than what we think it is at first blush. So welcome to the podcast, Maria. Thanks, Cindy. Um, I wasn't expecting that kind of an introduction. I'll have to call Don when we hang up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to warn you because I thought, well, that would be weird. But anyway, so you, you are a Charlotte Mason mom. You have three children. And how do you know Dawn? So Dawn and I actually first met through the Ambleside Online Forum. And then her family relocated to the D.C. metro area where our family has been for 11 years. And we have, you know, been growing a very sweet friendship ever since. Um, So I'm very grateful for her influence in my life and her friendship and actually everything that she wrote to you about me, I feel like I could say the same about her. So I'm very grateful for her role in my life. So you have a background in linguistics and, 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 you know, I've noticed that different girls uh, tune into different things um, in Charlotte Mason's writings and really delve deep more deeply. And you've done that about recitation. Right. So it's interesting that my background is in formal linguistics. It's not what interested me in recitation. Um, it was really just that my daughter was beginning her former, formal schooling in the Mason paradigm two years ago. And I knew recitation was part of the programs. And I was interested in understanding why they were in the programs and then, of course, how it was done. And then more recently, Don um, and I organized a recitation event for our local Charlotte Mason community called Truth, Beauty, Goodness Hour. And so as we were organizing that, that encouraged me to just continue looking into it more and trying to understand why Mason wanted this in her programs, why her teachers wanted it in their programs. And um, the more I study the ideas of memory work and reading aloud, I keep coming back to this pillar of Mason's principles that the purpose of learning is to know and recitation was one of those avenues to knowledge. Now, when you you say recitation, um, what are you actually saying when you say the word recitation? Because I find that to be a, a, a little bit of a new word for moderns. I know even 20 years ago, when I started using the word, um, I say we were we would say let's have we're going to have a recitation. Um, I'm not even sure why we said that word. I'm not sure if I got it from Mason or where, but what, it's a mm-hmm. very unusual word, and it's not one where we we really have a grasp on. What what did Mason mean, or what is recitation? Yeah, I think to define it in her terms is helpful because when we're reading her work, she's using that word. So she defined it as a committing to memory without labor. So recitation is just the art of reading aloud and 
doing that regularly over time with specific selections. There's a popular parents review article that many of your listeners might know, or maybe you know, by Arthur Burrell called Recitation of the Children's Art. Um, and in that article, he lays out this idea that by regularly reading aloud specific works, you will naturally commit these things to memory. So in a Mason program, those specific things were selections from scripture, both the Old and the New Testament and uh, the Psalms, hymns, and by hymns, I mean the lyrics of hymns, not the singing of hymns, poems and literary material. Then as students progress to higher forms like Shakespeare, um, foreign language, uh, prose and poetry, and we even see Euclid in the recitation uh, timetables for the higher forms. But, you know, recitation was distinctive in her time, not just in ours, because it's not a drill type of work. Again, she said that it was uh, it was a committing to memory without labor. So the purpose was not to store up facts devoid of their ideas. The purpose was to train the voice and to grow in knowledge. So to do that slowly but steadily over time, just simply reading something aloud week in and week out. Yeah, so I, I love that. That is actually how I um, I I did recitation in my home. Actually, that's how I did all memorization mm-hmm. in my home. Instead of, um, you know, I, I and and I always used to say it really didn't matter to me whether someone got it word perfect. We might read something aloud every day for, say three or four or five weeks, it's depending on the length. And then at the end of that time, most of the kids would probably know it by heart. They could all fill in any word that I left out. Mm-hmm. And, um, but some of them never were good at, at word for word um, memorization. And, but they, I still felt, felt like that really wasn't the point. So since that wasn't the total point, it was fine. Um, everybody got what they could out of that exercise. And um, yes. Um, so and it, so it's kind of fun that that <laughs> that turns out to be uh, especially <laughs> what she was going for to have these words in our heart and um mm-hmm. and um not well I'm sorry my dog hi Mac Max is now on the podcast <laughs> so well, you know Cindy I oh go ahead no no go ahead I was just going to say, I love that you point that out because you were starting with the principles and working these things out without all the resources that we have available today. And I've maybe unfortunately done the opposite. I've been digging for specifics about recitation, but in doing that, I'm being pointed back to the principles because, um, you know, Mason talks about in her principles or her synopsis of education that a child's mind is no mere sack to fill up. Um, but rather he is a spiritual being, she says, with an appetite for all knowledge. So through recitation, we're honoring the personhood of our children, I think. They were created in the image of God, and as such, they were made for relationship, first and foremost with their creator. And Charlotte Mason says that she has this wonderful reflection on um, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and volume 6. She says, every enthusiastic teacher knows that he is obeying the precept, feed my lambs, feed with all those things which are good and wholesome for the spirit of a man, and before all and including all with the knowledge of God. Mm. Wow. 
Um, you know, I'm going to bring up a movie here because uh, I just had one of those wonderful moments when you're watching um, uh, something uh, that the media has put out and it, it just it just says everything that you feel and think. But I was re- recently mm-hmm. watching the movie The Darkest Hour. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's about Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very well worth watching. It's kind of, I don't know if you saw the King's speech, but it would mm-hmm. be up on that level in my mind. But this mm-hmm. movie, The Darkest Hour, at one point, Winston Churchill is trying to decide what to do uh, with, about Dunkirk. He knew that their their troops were being decimated and he wanted to do something, but all the generals were saying, no, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. And I'm not going to be able to talk about this without crying, but um, mm. he gets on he gets on a train. He's never ridden on the underground in his life. He's just not from that class of people. And he gets mm-hmm. on the underground, and somebody starts, and he starts talking to the people. And I don't, I can't remember if they knew who he was at first or not. I don't think they knew who he was. But suddenly, someone starts saying the um, the poem "Horatius at the Bridge," and mm. um, all the people in the train car knew that poem and they all joined in and they all started quoting the poem and it was Mm -hmm. just absolutely I mean I'm sitting here watching it with people that weren't coming from I mean it was actually my brother and his wife and um you know they had taken a different route with their children their child but um I'm sitting there sobbing my eyes out as and everybody's looking at me like, what? They're just saying a poem on a train car. But for me, it was the epiphany of everything I had done with my children and for the mm-hmm. reasons I had done with it, had done it. And so anyway, if you get a chance to watch that movie, if you can get through that scene without crying, uh, <laughs> let no. me know. <laughs> yes, I will. It sounds so wonderful. You know, it reminds me too of something that I found in my research and regarding sort of the practical of, you know, why recitation, the practical answer to why recitation. Uh, There's a book by a gentleman named Canon Fleming called The Art of Reading and Speaking, and it was recommended reading for the upper forms in these programs. And he says this, I was reminded of this as you were sharing that example, He says, the voice of the living speaker makes an impression on the mind much stronger than that made by the perusal of any writing. Mm. The tones of the voice, the gestures which accompany it, convey infinitely more than anything written. Hence, our sympathy is awakened more by hearing a speaker than by reading his works. True, the printed book can go where the living voice cannot. But the triumphs of eloquence must be the outcome of spoken, not of written language. If the voice may be justly regarded as the instrument of spoken language, articulation and pronunciation may be said to be the music which we discourse from it. So I think that that's another worthy reason to consider recitation in our homes. It really gives life to these words that we want our children to be stored up with, not just um, the words from the greatest author of all, you know, our maker God, but also the words of men, many of them who are inspired by scripture and words that communicate ideas of virtue and truth and goodness. Yeah, I think so much of our knowledge, um, I know with me, I've had a lifetime of Bible reading, and I always attribute that to my parents, 
but um, I noticed that I know long passages of the Bible, not because I've memorized them, but because I've read them over and over again and heard them, mm-hmm. heard them read to me over and over again. We had a pastor once who, who took about uh, seven months to get through the like two chapters of Ephesians. And he would mm-hmm. always read through those chapters uh, before he started preaching. And to this day, mm-hmm. I can't even read one of those chapters without hearing his voice and hearing the cadence of his words mm-hmm. um, go through my mind. And that's how, I, you know, I have God's word hidden in my heart. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with our children that, that, that applies to the scripture, to poetry, like you're saying, to, to speeches. There's so many wonderful speeches out there that, that uh, have, that, that, like you said, they, they mean one thing when you read them, but when you actually say them, they become something else altogether. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and for the children to find that out on their own is also powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. And I think you're getting at the idea of storing up knowledge, too, not just storing up words. Yes. Words, but actual knowledge. And this was Mason's deep-seated conviction for education. There's this wonderful article that she wrote for a publication called The Teacher's World that I recently found. Uh, It was published, this particular article, in 1914. And I'd love to read this excerpt. I'm sorry. Am I reading too many excerpts? No, absolutely (laughs) not. You couldn't possibly read too many excerpts. So we love that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, this, I think, gets at the heart of why she wanted recitation in her programs. Well, really why she did anything that she did. I think... If we ask the question, why did she have recitation in the programs, we could ask that question for any area of study and arrive at the same answer. And I think this excerpt is the answer. She said, the philosophy of education by which our practice has been directed for the last quarter of a century or more is comprehensive. But perhaps the two outstanding principles are that education is of the spirit and not of the flesh. And next, that learning and not teaching is the business of the schools. Mm. Let teachers believe that knowledge is the sole concern of education, that knowledge is life, and that the knowledge of God is eternal life. And education will advance by leaps and bounds. Personality will develop. And the children we bring up will be, as we would have them, greater and better than ourselves. So when, when children are reciting they're storing up knowledge. They're not committing facts to memory, facts that are divorced from their ideas. They're really storing up knowledge. And I think that's why Mason said about recitation, there's hardly any other subject that is so educative and elevating. Um, And I I think that, you know, what you've been saying about how your pastor read these passages week in and week out and you have them in your heart, you know them. It's not because you were tasked with committing something to memory, um, you know, day in and day out, the the drudgery of working line by line to memorize something in order to give a dramatic performance and win an award. Mm -hmm. Now, what was that, what was that quote from again? It was a publication called The Teacher's World. I don't know a lot about it. I haven't looked into what the publication was yet, but it was an article that she wrote for it in 1914. Okay, so that so that's really so. Did, how did she practically um, include recitation in her programs? Do you have any insight into that? Well, I'll I'll try to shed a little light based on what I have found so far. 
At the outset, uh, I think it's important to note two rules, if you will. Firstly, that no recitation work was assigned that required a student to read something aloud that he did not have an understanding of first. Mm. Um, Arthur Burrell wrote a book called Clear Reading and Speaking. This was also a book that was uh, assigned reading for the upper forms. And he comments on that rule, if you will, by saying the first thing necessary is that the prose or poetry should be learned. Many children can and do learn without understanding, but it is a practice not to be recommended. Therefore, no child should be set to learn by heart what he does not understand. So perhaps the recitation choices, um, you know, the teacher might discuss or the parent might discuss some vocabulary in it, but importantly, the, the student would have time to read over the material silently and alone a few times or maybe for a few days before they would be asked to read it aloud. Um, secondly, there was consensus, not just between Mason and uh, Burrell, but others who were writing about the art of elocution in that time that um, students should not be copying teachers or parents. Mm. Burrell went on to say that though the student may imitate the competent teacher in pronunciation, never should he imitate in recitation. He said, let him preserve in his way of reading and reciting his own personality. And as he proceeds, he will progress. So those two um, pillars of recitation, you might say, I think are important when you're considering what to do. But as far as what it looked like practically, they started in form one at age six or seven with recitation assignments and continued through high school. The students were reciting almost every day of the school week in Form 1, and then by the time they were in the higher forms, they were reciting every day of their six-day school week. And they would recite one selection each day, and uh, it would usually take no more than 10 minutes in their school day. And, uh, you know, you can, anybody can go to the archives and look at some of the timetables and programs, but I'll just share one example from a Form 2 class. They would have on Monday uh, just a poem to recite, on Tuesday a passage from the Old Testament, on Wednesday a passage from uh, the New Testament, on Thursday another poem, on Friday a psalm, and then on Saturday they would do something called repetition of the week's work. So I haven't found a straightforward definition of that yet, but I presume that would mean reciting everything that they had recited individually each day of that week. Um, now, was it, were, so these, were these the whole class was reciting the same thing? It's interesting you ask that question. I very recently, just a couple of days ago, came across some passages in um, Burrell's work that the higher forms were studying about group recitation, where he said that even if an entire class is assigned the same material to recite, they should never recite in unison. And his point was that when they are reciting in unison, um, something about that takes away from the individuality of the child and the whole purpose of recitation and storing up knowledge and gaining understanding of the author's idea. So I'm not sure what it looked like practically, but I, I think it's safe to say they probably if they had the same assignment, we're not reciting it in a choral type setting. 
That's really interesting because it goes along very much with what you were saying about um, the teacher. Uh, uh, we should we should concentrate on learning and not teaching. This is something that is very, very hard for us to comprehend in our modern way of looking at education. And every everything mm-hmm. turns on this one thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it, it's very hard for me even to communicate to that, that to people that I work with that are outside of the Charlotte Mason tradition. Um, this is what we're trying to do. We're not trying to get in the way because people get all caught up in these projects or these ideas where the teacher is having a great time and the teacher's doing this and the teacher's doing that and the child isn't really doing anything or caring or learning because, mm-hmm. um, because the teacher's doing all, everything. Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating to me because, and I understand, I understand the, the temptation and I even understand, um, why, it, why, you know, the teacher feels fantastic because she's just learned a whole bunch, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the student hasn't. And um, so we do mm-hmm. very much need to be looking at flipping this over. And when we, it, and we're not child centered, but mm-hmm. we are all, the, the point isn't for us to learn, although we will learn, but it is for the mm-hmm. child to be learning and not ourselves. And so I, and so what you're saying about unison is, is very, also very interesting <laughs> because, um, yeah, I just recently ran into something like that where uh, we had memorized a poem and then somebody came along and wanted us to say it a certain way. They wanted us to have this certain inflection. They wanted us to do it a certain mm-hmm. way. And it kind of took all the joy out of it. It really it really went from being, oh, look what I, you know, I'm memorizing this. I enjoy it. I'm going to say this for my mom and dad to, um, mm-hmm. I, this is a production. This is a show. Um, mm-hmm. This is not... Um, this is not about what's in the words. It's about, you know, how, how I inflect them or how I say them. So, right. And that just goes back to what Mason said, right? That the purpose here isn't to give a dramatic performance, um, which is sort of what you were being asked to do, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And Burrell talks about that in his book that we're not training actors. Um, really the purpose is to store up knowledge. And when you read something aloud regularly, you will naturally, in most cases over time, commit that to memory and have it stored in your mind and in your heart. And I think as believers, I don't think I know. That's one of our commands, right? Mm -hmm. To say, as the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And as Peter said, that we might be ready to give an answer um, to defend our faith. So it's, it all starts with your purpose. You know, why are you sitting down to do this? And I think it's easiest, especially in a Mason education, now that we have so many resources available to fall prey to the, um, the practices part only, um, you know, just saying, okay, well, if I can look at what somebody else has done or even look at what Mason did and do that exactly, then I will gain X, Y, or Z, or my student will be this or that. Yes. Everything will be wonderful. (laughs) Um, And even Charlotte Mason said that about recitation. I found some teacher's notes and things that they were doing um, in one of their branch schools. And Mason wrote in a preface to printing that, these teacher's notes in a pamphlet. She wrote, please know that this is not a tour de force. Always look back to the principles. Don't just do what we've done because we did it. Wow. Um, I think that's so uh, valuable because um, e- even, even I know um, different groups spring up and, and they, they take these 
these practices and and they think they're going to plug them in. I, I recently was talking um, to Jack Beckman, and he is a scholar at Covenant College um, mm-hmm. on Charlotte Mason. And one of the things he said is, even with Charlotte Mason, it depends on what, what principle we start with. If mm-hmm. we start with children are born persons, that's going to look a little different than if we start with um, habits uh, as our mm-hmm. main principle. So if, if we start as habits, then, then it's going to be a little more regimented than if we start with children are born persons. So um, mm-hmm. we're still all following, you know, trying our very best to follow Charlotte Mason's ideals. But if, you know, depending on where we start, is it's, it's very important to start. And I personally believe we should start with children are born persons. What is it that mm-hmm. persons um, um, learn? And what is it that, how is it that persons, um, how do humans, how do humans feed their minds? Um, mm-hmm. I, I recently, even, even I was just reading a diet book the other day and the guy said he doesn't use um, any, any studies with anything other than humans because we are humans and we aren't rats and we're not monkeys and we're not, all these other things. And I thought that is a, a Charlotte Mason way to think about diet. You know, what do humans yeah. eat, not, not just what do mammals eat. So Right. Um, yeah, and talking about how humans feed their minds, it's interesting that the material for recitation was just as living as the material for the other subject and content areas in the programs. Um, you know, as we were saying earlier, they're not memorizing facts and devoid of ideas. They were living, it was living material they were using and it was material that was rich in ideas. So to go back to your question about what they were doing specifically, um, there was general consensus at the time, as I said, that children shouldn't be asked to read something aloud that they had not, you know, been given time to read on their own and discuss with the parent or teacher and have an understanding of. So we see, for instance, in their Bible recitation assignments that these were pulled from the Bible lessons for that term. Mm. So if you're studying um, in the book of First Kings, then a recitation passage would come from First Kings. It wouldn't come from Isaiah for that term. Right. Um, and similarly, the poems that they were choosing, the child was choosing his own poem, but it was coming from an anthology that was used for that term's reading. Um, or in programs today, maybe from the poet you're studying for that term. Um, if it was a fall term that would uh, be near Christmas time, a Christmas hymn would be one that would be recited, and possibly one that they were singing in church on Sundays. Shakespeare passages as they got older that were assigned for recitation were taken from the play that was being studied that term. So as far as I can tell from my research and my reading, recitation assignments were always made with the terms work in mind. Okay, so they didn't they didn't wag the dog in other words. They they came from right. the actual knowledge that they were gaining. Um, in other subjects, right? That's. Yeah. I, I noticed with Shake over the years. I, I at the very end, I finally um, would. Whenever we did a Shakespeare play, I finally got to the point where I could pull out the passage to memorize from the actual play we were doing, and um, <laughs> it ended up driving everything because there wasn't time. We, you know, and like I said, I only read aloud um, the piece um, daily, really, um, and that was. 
I did, I've never figured out a better way to memorize anyway than just reading aloud. And I think that is the natural, that's the, mm-hmm. that's the way to it. Probably, there's probably some brain research now that will tell us how that embeds in the mind permanently as opposed to what you cram for information that you cram in your head is mm-hmm. only there in the short-term memory, whereas these, these things are, are um, in the long-term memory when you're just familiarizing yourself with them over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've read Shakespeare. So I've read through Shakespeare's whole canon a couple times. I'm now doing it on audio. And I keep thinking back to, uh, and so now things are starting to be a tiny bit familiar to me. I mean, there are, of course, the main, the main themes are very familiar, but, but I, the, the obscure, the obscure uh, lines are starting, just barely starting to, to be something uh, accessible to me. And um, I think of the people in the past who just quoted Shakespeare glibly and often, um, how much reading of Shakespeare they must have done to be mm-hmm. able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't just, uh, oh, well, we read Hamlet yesterday or, you know, this week or, or this term. Um, it was, it's a lifetime of reading these things over and over, mm-hmm. which, which causes us to be familiar, which is why hopefully all of us are very familiar with the Bible and then, mm-hmm. uh, then there's Shakespeare and the and the great poets. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and I, it's interesting that you're hitting on that because you know the sample um, form that I mentioned earlier with what they were reciting each day of the week. I think that taking the last day of the week as they did again, it was a six day week, so you would need to um, work that differently if you weren't practicing a six day school week, but as they had this repetition of the entire week's worth of repetition work on a, on Saturday on that last day, it's, what do you think? Do you think that's a sort of training the child, giving them an early taste of that habit of revisiting recitations, you know, not just doing it once and then leaving it until the next week, but revisiting those things that you have been reciting and working on? Yes, I, I would say so. And I, I would say, like in our family, I finally um, incorporated review into our daily thing. So, uh, you know, if we had memorized, say, at the end of the, you know, the many years of homeschooling, we had memorized maybe a hundred poems. Uh, we would always review one of those poems, not review like you're saying, like, oh, but just read it, read it again to refresh our yeah. mind, to bring it back up. And, and so it wasn't lost forever. So I think review um, is also a big part of recitation, especially for those things that are very important and that you, you want them to be a lifelong, um, something you've committed to your mind um, for your life because because um, you need certain things that we need certain concepts and certain um, things that we um, that we commit to memory we want to we want to have to bring them back mm-hmm. um, now now we've been talking about this kind of as a school subject um, but it, it can also just be something you do in your family really as a family mm-hmm. tradition um, does Charlotte Mason talk at all about that she does actually, which is why I was so delighted to hear you talking about it in your <laughs> introductory remarks. Um, you know, well, first of all, I, I just want to say that she really practiced what she preached. Recitation was part of life um, at 
her house of education, which was her teacher's college um, there in Ambleside. It was something that she thought about very early on when she was um, just starting out in her work. Uh, She established what they called a reading coterie. She said um, the idea would be that each one of us had some author or authors whom he specially cared for and that we were willing to impart that interest by reading passages from the author we chose illustrating more or less the features of his work that attract us, taking an evening's reading from one author, generally a poet. And these became, over time, known as Scalhow Tuesdays. Um, Sometimes they're referred to as drawing room evenings or Mm. literary evenings. They even had um, evenings that were called entertainment evenings or composer evenings. Um, You know, there's evidence that if their exam days for her student teachers fell on a national holiday, they would take time in the morning to read hymns or poems that were specifically related to that um, day of celebration. So recitation really was part of their life. And in the Parents Review magazine, they occasionally published some of these papers that were read um, during the Scale Hall Tuesday evenings. And she has this interesting footnote to each of those articles. She says, we venture to think this should be a pleasant custom in families. Even the younger members of a family would enjoy taking part in the readings. So she absolutely encouraged families to be reciting together. And even, wow, I'm so, I'm sorry, (laughs) just, no, no, I'm excited, because even saying everybody, you know, show up after dinner with a passage they'd like to share with each of us from your reading this, Mm -hmm. how powerful Mm -hmm. would that be in a family? Wow, I'm going to start over. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you were doing this, You, you mentioned that you all were doing this. Yeah, we did. We did do it as far as, um, you know, reciting. um, um, And we did some passages also. We also did like uh, different passages. uh, So but I just see this as uh, such it it could go if you if you get away from the idea that it has to be strict memorization and that it Mm -hmm. is actually hiding something in your heart, then it opens up things quite a bit to to ways that you can enact it in your home um, mm-hmm. and it almost makes me think of the inklings where where and of course we ha- we have a similar time period and, and maybe it is the overflow of knowledge maybe people who have knowledge have to have a place to have it flow out of them and to share Mm -hmm. with someone else it's not something we can have by ourselves and our precious little you know it's not our precious Um, and so it's just quite natural for people who do have who have been reading and thinking and gathering all these beautiful beautiful words to have a place to share those things Mm -hmm. well and we were created to know god to make him known, of course, in the Great Commission, that in being created to know God and, and to make him known, we, we have this idea of relationships. So absolutely, when you're storing up these truths and these words of virtue and, um, and honor and goodness in your mind, they, they should pour forth, you know, to encourage others um, to be an example for other believers, as Timothy says, in word and conversation, charity and spirit and faith. 
So in our, so what we did in our group, and I am probably, I would just pick a date, maybe six weeks in the future. And one of the cool things about it, after the first one, um, when the kids, uh, and we would tell the families, you know, that we're coming, okay, we're going to recite on this day, and we're, maybe our theme will be humor, maybe it'll be patriotism, maybe it'll just mm-hmm. be um, free for all. We we would sometimes pick a theme. Um, after the very first one, once the kids understood what was going on, there was no sense that the mom had to oversee it all. Um, um, mom provides food, but the kids were very ready to to work on things and share things with one another. Mm-hmm. And I like that it, a recitation day can become kind of a a way for the kids to to express what they enjoy and what they love and not um, mm-hmm. not just mom having to assign everything. Now, some of the little guys, you know, it's just fun for them to learn some little poem that, you know, they want to share with other people. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but what about, so that's how we went about it. And, and it turned out to be so valuable. Like I said, it, it, one of the most valuable things we ever did as a family, but what about, um, some uh, somebody who doesn't see the value in this who this this seems uh, very victorian or, or out of out of sync with our time mhm well i'll answer that by sharing um uh something anecdotal i recently heard a young person remarking on the habit of reading and she would be identified as a millennial <laughs> and <laughs> I think that's relevant to what I'm going to say to answer your question. I'm sure it is. (laughs) Uh, She said this, the emotional impact a book has on me is more important than reading the history of, say, a U.S. president. And I was devastated when I read that initially, but as I kind of came down from that moment of shock, (laughs) um, I realized, you know what, what she said is exemplary of the effect of postmodern thought on our culture. And as Christian parents raising our children in this day and time, this postmodern time, I personally think it behooves us to consider the practice of recitation as a sort of antidote to this culture. You know, as Christian parents, we talk about raising our children to be truth seekers And the world we're going to be sending them into on their own in a short time um, will be giving them many messages that truth is relative or maybe that truth doesn't exist even at all. By great contrast, if we have developed in them and practiced alongside of them the art of recitation by having these family recitation times, as you were talking about, um, we are teaching them that there is, first of all, absolute truth. And that God's truth is the most important truth, because if we if we are to take um, recitation, just as Mason did it, um, and look at the different pieces of a recitation program, we will see that it's the words of God, the greatest author of all, that far outweigh the words of man in that program. Most of the material that they're going to be reciting is from Scripture, and it's hard to argue with that when you're speaking as Christian parents, one to another. These are not Mason's ideas. These are not her exhortations. These are biblical commands that we have to train up our children, um, to point them to knowing God, to help instill in them this truth that God's word 
its truth, that we are to hide it in our heart and to um, to know it so that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path because the world will not give them light. Mm-hmm. Um, it will only give them darkness. But if they are, if they have their minds stored up with his truth, um, then that the light of his truth will outshine that darkness. I think that's a really good point in light of the emotionalism of our culture at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and to have the solid ground, even knowledge, um, yeah, truth, of course, is the the final foundation, the big where we all stand uh, and truth uh, according to God's word, the Bible that found in Jesus mm-hmm. is, is the main truth. But but God has given us knowledge as a solid as a solid thing to hold on to. And we mm-hmm. are not at the mercy of the way we feel or the be or, or, as the Bible says, we're not tossed about by every wind. Um, mm-hmm. Right now we have children and young millennials who are tossed about by every wind and why wouldn't they be? It's not, of course they're, they're tossed about by every wind. They have never been given anything solid to hold on to. Mm-hmm. So I, and we, you know, we saw it coming, we said it was coming and now even, even uh, it's just so shocking that we it's like, oh, it really did come this this time of. Mm. Um, but what the the most wonderful thing is when I talk to young women like you, and so many of the young women have been the very best guests on this podcast, is that people who were cheated. I thought I had been cheated out of an education. And that is one reason I was so drawn to Charlotte Mason, um, but also other people, um, um, young young women now who are moms who have feel cheated of an education. The, the truth is still there, knowledge is still there, and it's still a very firm foundation for them to grab hold mm-hmm. of. So mm-hmm. um, there is no despair, no matter if you're coming from a place where where you have been cheated out of those things. And even mm-hmm. now, one, one other thing I wanted to say, what, um, I was looking on Facebook yesterday. I hadn't been on in a long time. And uh, my friend, Lynn Bruce, uh, Ambleside um, mom, mm-hmm. uh, original Ambleside mom was on there and talking about um, her, basically her, her morning time that she still has. And mm-hmm. uh, none of this stuff is, is limited to a certain, this is because it's for humans. You're not mm-hmm. limited, whether you're a preschooler or an 84 year old lady, you mm-hmm. are free to participate in this, um, the recitation of knowledge <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because it's there for all of us and it's not limited at all to our school hours or our education. We are free to learn these things at any given time. And oh, I love the, that that you shared that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So um, is there anything else that you want to add that we have not covered in this conversation? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, well, you know, we talked about, I think you and I talked about on email, and I've, I've had some people ask me what to do with a student who's not yet reading. Mm. Um, do you, I mean, I, I've come across some things in my reading, but have you experienced that in your time of, you know, educating your own children and others? Um, I, I mean, for me, for a child that's not yet reading, it's just a matter of hearing I would say, I mean, it, it really, mm-hmm. really is a, 
that big of a deal to me because mom can read things to them um, and she can read them, you know, several times. Not, I wouldn't do it several times at, at once, but here and there, you know, it's just like quoting a nursery rhyme. You know, you can, you can do it when it, when you're learning it or you can do it when it fits the situation um, it, or when you, you know, you just want to say it for the fun of it. But um you know, to me, that that would just be an, a natural way that mom interacts with a young child. Yes, I, I agree. It's sort of common sense. Sometimes we overthink these things, <laughs> especially as young moms. But Mason talked about it in volume one in her section on Bible recitation. Uh, she's talking about a child learning a parable. Um, and she says the learning of that parable shouldn't be a burden. Mm. She says uh, the whole parable should be read to them in a way to bring out its beauty and tenderness. Uh, she's talking specifically about the parable of the prodigal son. She continues, then day by day, the teacher should recite a short passage, perhaps two or three verses, saying it over some three or four times until the children think they know it. Then, but not before, let them recite the passage. The next day, the children will recite what they have already learned and so on until they are able to say the whole parable. So you're right. It's just speaking those words at a time that's fitting, letting them hear them, um, you know, making it part of the thought atmosphere that Mason talks a lot about. You know, what sorts of things are we putting into their um, thought atmosphere? And what else would you be doing with the young child? You know, those are the things that you that really um, matter uh, far more than, you know, this skill or that skill or are they doing their math properly or, you know, even, even mm-hmm. reading, we want to be teaching them reading in short spurts every day. But mm-hmm. even that, and it, it is even amazing to me, like when I was reading aloud in morning time to my kids, like from passages or poems, I wasn't specifically telling anybody who, who was memorizing it, who wasn't. But so often the person who did memorize it, even, even things you weren't intending them to were the little people, but they, mm-hmm. they are the ones who are only getting information that orally so they Mm -hmm. are much more heightened to what you're you're you know reciting than Mm -hmm. um, maybe even children who are reading Mm -hmm. yes exactly very true and um yeah I did want to say one other thing that you touched on briefly earlier that uh, this idea that teachers are not the ones who should be doing the heavy lifting in recitation or in, in any part of the school day or the school work, um, you know, it's not the teachers who are meant to be on display. Our purpose is to keep our king on the throne, right? Um, to pray over and guide our students toward knowing him. And Mason um, wrote, as you probably know, these scale how meditations they were called as her commentary on the Gospels, and I'd love to share something she wrote about that. I think it's relevant here as we think about recitation and not having our children copy us or give dramatic performances and and relevant just for parenting. Um, Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear it. So she, she wrote this about John the Baptist. She said, or in referencing him, she said, we as teachers shall do well to consider the example of John the Baptist. He had only one concern, to prepare the way of the Lord. And we may lay it to heart that our teaching is effective only as it works toward this end. 
Mm-hmm. Isn't that convicting and beautiful yes, all it at is. once? <laughs> it is convicting. <laughs> it is very convicting. And, um, you know, and, and it reminds me of the Bible verse where it says we should, we shouldn't desire to teach because we all, we all stumble in many ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, teaching is, is, um, it, it, it's difficult and, and we, and it, it's a wonderful thing when we can, um, find, now we have dogs, find, um, find <laughs> what we have, find the materials that we can introduce to our children outside of ourselves so that, that mm-hmm. they aren't limited, especially in the homeschool environment to just mom, um, and, and her abilities, but that you're all learning together and growing together mm-hmm. as a family, um, in an environment of humility, which, mm-hmm. which can be very difficult sometimes because sometimes we, we, we aren't humble because we, we feel maybe, um, embarrassed or like we have to prove ourselves or that we're under scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. And humility only comes by the grace of God. So yes, that's right. Having that personal morning time, like you were mentioning. Yes. That's a very good point that we, if we want to have humility, we, that that we have to seek first God's kingdom. So everything Mm -hmm. really comes down to that. And Charlotte Mason Mm -hmm. was so good at reminding us of that, as you say, um, today. And I hope, I ho- I'm sure our, our listeners are, are hearing that, that, um, this was Charlotte's message. This is our message. And, um, we just want, um, our, the families to, to seek first God's kingdom and, mm-hmm. and to, to be free to follow, um, to, to do some of these things that maybe seem like they take a little extra time because mm-hmm. they're, the, the value and the importance of them are eternal in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Yes, very well said. Okay, well, I think we will wrap that up today. It, it's been, Maria, it's been wonderful to talk to you. I'm so glad, Dawn. I knew that I was so excited about the topic. And um, <laughs> when I read your notes, I was even more excited. So uh, thank you very much for sharing with us your um, your insights and your studying and, 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 and this wonderful fun and important topic (laughs) well thank you for talking with me cindy and sharing your insights and your experiences you're an encouragement to so many of us younger mothers so i'm grateful to have the time with you today 